Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Heated Conversations. Super excited that you decided to tune in to another episode. Hey, remember, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any of the new episodes. And so you're always in tune with who we have coming next, what colleges or what special guests that we may have. Also, share, share, share like, and leave comments. You guys are going to help me be able to know what type of questions and conversations to have with some of these um, guests in some of these colleges. I'm super excited that you decided to tune in. Um, we go all the way out east, the University of Bridgeport with head coach Lorraine Gallo. Super excited for her to be on the podcast and talk about her university. Let's welcome Lauren to the podcast. Hey, Lauren, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Wonderful. How is the weather out there? In, we are uh, lucky it's not snowing. <laughs> that's not good. Yet. That's good. Cold, but we're surviving. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, I want to start off the episode by asking you two questions. Now, these questions are going to give the viewers and, li and listeners a little bit perspective about who you are as a person. So the first question, if you could have anyone cook you a meal, who would it be and what would you have them cook you? This is such an interesting question for me because my father was a chef growing up and he passed away when I was very young. And that is one thing that I miss so much is his cooking. So I would have to say my father and my parents owned a catering business when I was growing up and he used to make so many things that we do not have recipes for. So one of the things that I can remember from my childhood was a very simple filet a twice baked potato and a medley of vegetables that he used to wrap up with like a spinach leaf. And it was very aesthetically pleasing. So that would absolutely be my meal of choice. I love it. Now, can I ask what his, what is the cultural um, background of your family? You know, what kind of cooking did he do? So funny, my father was German and my mom worked with him and she was Dominican. So his cooking was inspired by so much international travel he lived all over the world, the Dominican Republic. He spent time in the Canary Islands. So there was a lot of different inspiration for all of his cooking. That's cool. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of times having, you know, a parent who is a, a good cook um, brings some connection. And I'm sure, you know, it was pretty busy having a catering business and stuff like that. Did you guys get to have a lot of family meals together? And when you guys did, was he usually the cook of those family meals? Absolutely. I feel like every holiday, it was a huge production of like, what is his menu going to be? And that was something that we always really looked forward to. I love it. I love it. Well, rest in peace to your father. And um, hopefully, you know, um, you guys can remember some of those meals or someone in the family may and um, be able to resurrect some of those recipes that you guys, you and your family really loved. For now, sure. my, my second question, if you could see anyone in concert, live or dead, who would it be and who would you take with you? Okay, this is a tough one. Um, I grew up listening to a lot of the Beatles because that is what my mom loved. So I feel like I would want to see the Beatles in concert, but with her because she was absolutely obsessed. So I can probably sing almost every Beatles song. Yeah. Because um, that's what, that's all I heard growing up. Yeah. Now, do you, to this day, still listen to the Beatles? You know, sometimes I do. <laughs> I love it. Is it playing in your gym's playlist at all? 
No, but let me tell you, that playlist in the gym is very um, eclectic for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's, I think music is an essential part of life, but especially in the sport of gymnastics, right? Uh, floor routines, but in a training session, man, if you don't have music, it's a different environment, you know, um, doing an inner squad and turning off the music and just hearing yourself compete you know, is a different thing. It's kind of nice to be able to escape out of your own head, right? And kind of go into the world of whatever music or just kind of channel the energy of whatever artist or whatever music is playing. I think music is a very essential part of life and essential part of what um, the sport is about, right? Absolutely. Well, I want to, you know, start off by talking about, you know, some of the things you know, that make Lorraine who she is. Can you talk about your story as a kid? You know, were you a gymnast yourself? And kind of where did you grow up? And how did that lead you to where you are today? Okay, so I was raised in southern Indiana. Um, I didn't start doing gymnastics until I was about seven, I think turning eight. So I was a late bloomer for sure. I actually went to a birthday party at a gym. Um, and that is how I ended up just getting my first taste of gymnastics. I was the child that was climbing all over the furniture, jumping from the bed to the desk to my mom was like, this has got to stop. So after the birthday party, it was like, well, let's put her in gymnastics. This is the perfect <laughs> place for her to be. <laughs> yeah. um, so I um, was a gymnast my whole life. I stuck with it. I never did another sport. And, um, the gym that I was at no longer exists. Um, it was called Acros Gymnastics, which I think has turned into what is now called the zone. I was there until my junior year of high school. And then we moved to a suburb outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And I was at a gym called Ultimate Gymnastics. And I did my last two seasons there. Unfortunately, that gym just closed. So my two gyms that I was at no longer exist, but, um, you know, I was able to finish out my career in Georgia, and then I actually attended the University of Bridgeport for college to do gymnastics. So I am still here. <laughs> yeah. Um, what were, you know, some of the things that you really enjoyed about, about gymnastics as a kid? And did that influence you wanting to become a college coach? So for me, I feel like I needed somewhere to put my energy, and I was fortunate that it ended up being something that I truly loved. Uh, we did a little bit of dance on the side. I did ballet a lot of my life, but I feel like gymnastics was something where I was able to focus all my energy and it was challenging, but the right kind of challenging for me. And yeah. I think that I learned a lot about what I could have used as a child um, to help me push through those hard mental days and, you know, what could have been a little bit different had I known a little bit more. Um, and I think that you know, I had never fully intended to make head coaching my full-time forever job. But once I graduated um, the first time, I was injured my senior year. So I stayed on as a volunteer assistant coach for a year while I was rehabbing. And I feel like that was what did it. Um, I just felt like I could not leave the sport and I had to stay in it somehow. So I stayed on as a volunteer assistant for about seven years um, prior to the pandemic. So yeah. Okay. So seven years, you know, as a volunteer. So that means you must have a good relationship and connection with the head coach. Cause I believe, was it Brian Knox, who was your head coach when you were there? 
Byron, yes. Byron, sorry. Yes, Byron Knox, that's what I meant to say. Uh, Byron Knox was your, your head coach. Can you talk about what he was to you as a mentor and as a coach? Yeah, it was, for me, I was leaving home. You know, I lived in Georgia. I was with my family. I just left home to go to college. And strangely enough, I never really went back. I was like, this is life now. This is where I'm going to be. And he was pretty much the figure in my life where if things were, you know, going wrong or if I needed help or if I needed something, he was there. And I feel like I learned a lot from a technical standpoint as a coach. I learned a lot from a managerial standpoint, managing an entire team of, you know, college age women, um, you know, and just how much went into being a head coach because, you know, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of different responsibilities. And one day you're a coach and one day you're a therapist and one day you're, you know, at this level, we don't have a director of ops. So you're a director of ops, you know, we're doing all the different pieces. And I feel like, you know, volunteering for that length of time really did set me up to smoothly transition into the head coaching role. Yeah. Now, um, say you didn't get injured. Do you think your career in coaching would have been different or you think you would have still pursued coaching? I honestly continue to tell myself that that injury was a defining moment for me as a human being, but also for my career in the sport of gymnastics. I think that once I was in college and we were very successful when, um, when I was on the team, we went from not winning a conference championship my freshman year to winning six consecutive national championships. So I feel like it got to a point my senior year where it was almost like I had taken for granted that, you know, I was an all arounder. I constantly contributed. And I feel as though that injury right there reminded me that things can always change mm. in the blink of an eye. It can change. And you can't take your opportunities for granted. You cannot, you know, think that you're invincible and that those kinds of things can't happen to you. So for me, that injury was a wake up call as far as, you know, anything is possible, but also going through that, that was definitely one of the hardest things that I had experienced. And it was the only injury I'd ever experienced. And it took me two years to come back from it. And I think that because I experienced that, it made me want to be in a position where I would be able to help athletes through their injuries as well, because it was yeah. so hard. And I knew if I got through it, even if it took me two years that, you know, helping other people through injuries was something that I was going to be able to do. Yeah. Now, academically, did you, were you already on a path to, you know, get into that realm, like physical therapy or athletic training or anything like that? And did it, after having your own injury and going through the process of your recovery and stuff like that, did it intrigue you to either pursue more education on that? So I had thought about it at that point in time, I was already a psychology major with a minor in human services and I had applied to grad school. I was actually an elementary school teacher for about six years while I was a volunteer assistant coach. Okay. So I had already planned to become a teacher. And in my mind, that's what I was going to do. I was going to teach full time. I was going to coach on the side. It was going to be something that I stayed involved in and I was going to go to meets on the weekends. And that's how my involvement was going to be. But it was definitely tough to just only be involved part of the way. I think yeah. that's what it was for me. And it was, you know, I was trying to put gymnastics into my curriculum as much as I could at school. I'm like, all right, I'm teaching decimals. We're going to learn to 
at scores for gymnastics. <laughs> like <laughs> I wanted gymnastics to be a part of it any which way I could get it in there. So I think yeah. that was a sign for me that it was something that I should be pursuing full time. Yeah, no, I think that's crazy how life kind of does that, where sometimes things that we could perceive to be very negative, like an injury, which it does, it, it, it isn't fun, right? But it's the perspective that you look at and being able to understand that you can get better, you know, you can improve and you can become greater than what you were before. And really it's first is changing that mindset, right? Because sometimes we have set goals. Um, the question that kids get a lot of times from adults is, what do you want to be when you grow up? And we have our mindset sometimes on things. And then life gives you experiences to kind of not necessarily change your mind, but allow you to see different realms, right? Because sometimes what you're really um, intended to do, I like to call it called to do, we may not always discover it until we have a circumstance that could be quote unquote traumatic or just might be life changing. Right. And um, being able to pivot and be like, okay, you know what? My passion is really in the sport still. And maybe I just, you know, as a kid, either I had good experiences with, with uh, teachers or my, you know, my parents taught me, you know, and so I enjoyed that or I enjoyed learning or I had maybe a bad experience learning and I want to give someone a good experience, but yet knowing in your heart, Hey, you know what? I, I really love doing this gymnastics thing and being a part of other people's journeys and, you know, sharing my story to be able to help them create their story. Um, one of the uh, guests that I had, he talked about writing your own story and that's what, you know, life is really about. And I think it's really cool, you know, and awesome that, you know, people like yourself get to share their story every single day. Right. Yeah. It's definitely, you know, I feel like some of the kids are like, Oh, you, you went here like <laughs> because it's been so long, but you know, it gives them a little bit of a perception of you where it's like, okay, so they've been through this. They, they experienced it. So it's a firsthand account and it's not me just saying, you know, you're going to be fine. And they, right. they buy into it because it's an experience that I had. Right. Now, how you had mentioned being on both sides of like recruiting now being an athlete and being a coach, can you talk about the differences being an athlete at um, uh, Bridgeport? And then also being a coach now at Bridgeport and the two perspectives. Yeah. So for me, the recruiting process was interesting because I started recruiting very late. Uh, I looked at, you know, a couple lower level D1 schools. Um, and actually, I also looked at center. Sorry, that is my dog. I'm currently home. <laughs> oh, you're good. It's all right. Hey. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Sorry, he doesn't like the delivery people. Um, so my recruiting process was quite short. I really started reaching out to schools 
in the fall of my senior year. And by the spring, I want to say March, I was committed to the University of Bridgeport. For me, to location didn't matter. Uh, it was where am I going to be able to continue to do gymnastics? That was what I wanted. And I was the type of kid that I was like, I'm not really sure what I want to major in just yet. And my mom was the person that said, you don't have to figure it out right now. Go see what classes you want to take and what you like. And then maybe you'll come up with an idea from there. You don't have to have this all decided right now. So as an athlete at UB, you know, I don't think we knew how good we were going to end up being. For me, it was like, I just want to come do gymnastics and whatever that looks like, that's what it looks like. And I didn't really have too many goals going into college. But after that first year, for me, I was like, okay, I, I got to do better. I got to be better. Um, I had very high expectations for myself because I felt as though I was still hitting my peak as far as skills and consistency and my competitive confidence. It was not as good in the beginning of my career. So I think we had a lot of growth. I think most people that were at UB can say they grew as far as skills they learned and consistency and competition and confidence that all grew during our time. Um, you know, from a coaching standpoint, it's very nice that I can give a firsthand account of what my time at UB was like, but it's different because now I'm the coach. So yeah. it's going to be a different situation for the kids that I'm recruiting. But one thing I do find consistent across the board when I talk to recruits is, you know, they all talk about how difficult the process is on them. Mm. And I just try to, whether it's a kid that's going to end up coming here or not, or it's a kid that, you know, we're heavily pursuing or not. I try to kind of tell them, you're going to land where you're supposed to land yeah. and you're going to land somewhere. And being persistent is key. Knowing what you want in the recruiting process, that's key. If you're set on a specific academic program and the school that you would like doesn't have it, don't pursue because you have to put your academics first. I always say they're students before they're athletes. And as bad as that might be to some people, gymnastics isn't forever. So I try to make sure that they know that whether you end up here or not, you know, wishing you the best of luck. And if you need anything from me, I do my best to try to help them or point them in the right direction. Yeah. And what are, what are some of those things that they mentioned that are difficult in the process? Because, you know, with this podcast kind of diving into, you know, the, the college you know, college gymnastics and, you know, different aspects of different universities and stuff like that. I think, you know, addressing some of those things and how to navigate them, you know, especially firsthand from people who are going through it. And, you know, as you go through this process, a lot of similar things are going to happen with, you know, the next set of individuals or even, you know, current ones who are listening to this right now. What are some of those things that, you know, they find difficult and, you know, what are, you know, some of the um, other practical, you know, um, not necessarily solutions, but resources that you kind of provide to them to kind of help ease the process for them? I get a lot of questions about what do you want to see? What's the best way to get in touch? How do I communicate with you? And it's, if it's somebody that, you know, we're actively pursuing and they've come potentially on an unofficial visit, and now it's like, I'm waiting to see if I'm going to get that official visit. I always have those kids text me their videos. It's the easiest way to get to me. 
you know, if we've already spoken and we've done the email exchange and we've done the phone calls, I'm perfectly open to text messages because that's the easiest way for me to get back to them. Um, on the flip side, if, you know, I'm just talking to a kid for a first time, I always hear that, you know, it's so hard to get in touch with people or we might just not be getting answers from people. And if, you know, if I assume that everyone in the country is getting more, probably more emails than I'm getting, it is it's a lot. It's a lot to filter through and it's a lot to go through. And recruiting is 1000% one of the most time consuming aspects of the coaching job for sure. Yeah. But consistency and persistence is key. You, if you're really interested in somebody and you're really interested, you know, continue to keep in touch with them. I love when I get direct messages on Instagram through our UB Gymnastics account. And one of our assistants is like, hey, this kid is sending all these videos. Take a look. Um, having that gymnastics Instagram is great because I can pull up your email and I can pull up your Instagram account right next to it and I can go through all the videos. And that just gives like a small snapshot of where you're at, what you're training, um, and having all the right information in your Instagram is great. What year to make sure that, you know, I've had kids email and I'm like, Ooh, I don't know if I can answer you because I don't know what year you're graduating. Right. right. Um, but making sure that you have all that set up and you're updating all of your skills and you're, you're doing your best. I, I totally get, you know, there's when I was recruiting, I didn't hear back from school. So I get that that process is just like that sometimes, but being consistent and making sure you continue to reach out where you're interested is, you know, the best that you can do. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that I find sometimes hard, you know, even when I am trying to search for information about, you know, coaches and stuff like that's sometimes there's a email and then there's a number there's like a office number sometime there's like um, a cell phone number but sometimes it's just their bio you know if there's a situation that's similar to that is social media the best way to reach out and even that i feel like is hard sometimes just because depending on who you're um, trying to reach you know, and if it's a personal account or even if it's their gym account and stuff like that, how can you how can you navigate that? And, you know, let's say, for example, like and I'm just using this as, as an example, um, Arkansas. Right. Jordan Weber obviously has a name attached to her for what she's done in the sport of gymnastics and elite. Right. And um, it may not be as easy to access. Right. Just because of she's probably getting a lot of you know, messages and stuff like that. It could be not related to recruiting or anything like that, just because who she is, you know, but how can an athlete be able to navigate that? Be like, okay, I want to go to Arkansas, you know, and maybe I'm not yet at that place where um, my name just comes up just because I'm not on competing on certain platforms or I'm on the other side of the country that might be hard to be seen or anything like that what would you recommend to some of those athletes to do? I would say jump to the assistants first and see if their contact information is available because a lot of times, uh, depending on where you are, the responsibilities are divvied up. Uh, and sometimes there are certain assistants that are screening for recruits. I know that one of our assistant coaches that I consistently go to for screening just preliminary recruits, it's always the same person. Um, so there might be somebody specifically on their staff that handles, you know, that preliminary screening of recruits. And I would, you know, email assistance if their information is there. 
Um, typically, if you can't find it through athletics, you can go to the university's main page and they have a staff directory if you can't find it through the athletic page. Cool. No, I think that's very good. Um, you know, being able to have people, you know, get to, like you said, be pers uh, persistent and get to the people that they're trying to get to, to be seen and hopefully be able to help out the university and, and for them personally to be able to land at a place where academically they're going to thrive and love and be able to find, you know, a place to get the degree to do what they're going to do, you know, hopefully the rest to, for the rest of their life, or at least a place to be able to make the right connections to be able to get to the place to do what they want to do for the rest of their life. Um, but also um, a follow-up question is, do you prefer the athletes reaching out to you, the athletes, parents reaching out to you or the athletes, coaches reaching out to you? I prefer the athletes just email me directly because then I can get into conversation with them. Typically in the past, I've, I've actually never had a parent email me, I don't think. Um, but I have had coaches and that's fine. Sometimes I get an email from coaches saying, you know, we have seven kids. Here's when they're all graduating. Take a look and let me know if you're interested. I'm okay with that too. But typically if I'm interested, I say, okay, you know, I'm looking at three of your kids, have them email me directly just because I want to start to build that relationship and get in conversation with them and get them on the phone as fast as I can. Yeah. And do you typically at being the head coach, you know, do you contact all the recruits that your your staff has said that you're interested in? Or is there like, say the top five for a class or the top two, top three for class, do those ones typically get your personal responses as a head coach? Or do you respond to really any of them that your staff kind of provides you? So I try to respond to every single email I get, regardless, um, which people have told me I'm nuts for doing. But I just think that it you're making someone's process easier by either giving them a yes, giving them a keep updating us, or giving them a it's a not right now, or you know we're done recruiting. Either way, I think it's important to let kids know where your program's at so they're not sitting and waiting and wondering. Because yeah. that time of limbo where they're waiting for you, they could be contacting somebody else. Yeah. And I completely appreciate that we are busy as head coaches and it is a hard job to do, especially when, you know, you have a small staff and you're doing it all. Yeah. Um, but I do my best to try to respond to everyone. Even if, you know, even if we're done recruiting for a specific class, I let them know, Hey, I appreciate it, but we're done. Um, you know, let me know if there's anything I can do for you, but I wish you luck. I just think it's important to kind of let people know where you're at so they don't have to wonder. Yeah, no, I think that's that's good because those are hard things, you know, for athletes because a lot of times you want to reach, you know, the top uh, tier as, as, as much as possible because they ultimately make the decision, you know, and a lot of times um, people want their head coach to want them, you know, and to like them, mm -hmm. but you know, throughout the process, sometimes they really do love the assistance. And sometimes that's partially why, you know, people initially go there is because the connection they made with the assistants, and then they later on build a relationship with the head coach or, or sometimes it's not even because of the relationship they have with the head coaches, because the relationship they have with the assistant coaches and, you know, some programs let it be where whoever needs to 
take the lead on this athlete to get them to be able to be their best is going to take that athlete on right and not make it more personal where it's like hey i'm this this and this and i need to make sure that you know they like me or i'm the one leading them you know what i mean and understanding what is best for the team right now with your coaches how do you divvy it up and who are the coaches that you have part of your staff so we are very fortunate. Um, we have four assistant coaches, Mark Sorrentino. He has been uh, one of our assistants since I started as head coach. Um, I actually went and found him. He did not even apply for the job, but I had heard so many good things about him as a person. You know, he has been coaching for 25 plus years, I want to say, and he owns a gym in the state of Connecticut and he was state chair for USAG for Connecticut. So his involvement runs deep with the sport and he's someone that I've only ever heard great things about. So I was hired and I called him immediately. And I was like, I know you probably don't know who I am, but do you want to come to college gymnastics? And he was like, what is happening? Um, but he is awesome. We have JC Legi, who I coached club gymnastics with for 10 years. And I kind of pulled him and was like, Hey, I think we're, we're going to do this now, please like yeah. come with me. I know you would be great in a college setting. He has really awesome basics, really awesome technical gymnastics, and he has a drill for everything. So he was another one that I was like, I know you didn't sign up for this, but like, this is what I'm interested in doing. Do you want to do it too? Yeah. Uh, and then two of our other assistant coaches, Sarah Prue, who graduated from the university of Bridgeport uh, in 2020 and Alexis Richardson, who graduated just this May and was a sixth year senior. So she also stayed on and she is on our staff. Love it. And what are their roles? Like who coaches what events, who's in charge of recruiting and um, all those aspects and elements of the team? So we, I want to say typically, typically Sarah is on vault. Typically, Alexis is on floor. Typically, I'm on beam, but I tend to float because, you know, beam's fun. It was my favorite to do, but I love coaching bars yeah. and I love kind of dabbling everywhere. So um, Mark and JC tend to stay on bars and tumbling, but there are days where I might only have three of them in the gym at one time. So I get to kind of switch it up, which I love because... You know, it's it's nice to kind of get to move around and get to go anywhere. Yeah. As far as responsibilities go, I predominantly do the contacting of recruits and the setting up of recruiting trips. JC does a lot of our recruit screening where I send him some names, we get some things going and see where we're at with, you know, setting up a kind of like a putting our kids in clusters, who we need for what event and who could contribute where. Uh, Alexis does a lot of clerical work for us. She sets up scheduling stuff. She puts out the practice plan as far as who's in where, because some of our kids have, you know, their nursing majors, their dental hygiene majors, some of their schedules are tough. So she is very good on the clerical side of things, which is an amazing help for sure. Yeah. And um, who are some of the other support staff? Like, do you guys have a like managers that kind of um, work with you guys. Also, do you guys have like a trainer that you guys are close to? Do you guys have a director of operations? Um, and what is your 
um, academic, you know, team kind of look like? So we do not have any team managers because I have a staff that's so large. I feel like with the five of us, we're pretty okay to get it done. Um, we do have an athletic trainer. She was actually a gymnast all through high school. So that is something that is extremely helpful because she understands everything that we're doing and knows if you, if you tell her, Hey, I was doing a Takacha and I felt this, she knows what that is, which is really great. And we are fortunate that she understands our sport. Um, and then no director of ops. We do have a very um, involved athletic department. Um, some of our senior associate, um, they deal with everything that I want them to our senior associate AD. Um, his name's Anthony Beatty. He will pretty much do anything at any point in time. He's had almost every role in our athletic department. So I'm lucky that, you know, he just, he can do it all. Um, and then from an academic standpoint, we have, I mean, I, and one of my other assistant coaches, we do bi-weekly grade check-ins just for us, because I like to know, you know, if they're struggling and if we can help them with anything. There's a couple different offerings on campus as far as tutoring services and the girls also through me have mandatory study hall hours. So that is something that they see, especially in their first year, they have three times a week. So this it's a lot, but it's, you know, they're students first. So we prioritize yeah. that. Yeah. And the university, where are you guys located for those who may not know specifically? And because I know you mentioned one of your coaches is in Connecticut. And so are you guys located in the state of Connecticut? And then where um, geographically are you guys located in Connecticut? And what, you know, other major cities or anything like that is, you know, near you guys to kind of give a sense of reference? Yes. So we are located in Bridgeport, Connecticut, which is directly on the Long Island Sound. We are about an hour and 40 minute train ride from New York City. You can take the Port Jefferson Ferry from Bridgeport to Port Jeff on Long Island. And then we're about two and a half hours south of Boston. So we, you know, we're right in between a lot of the action up here. Yeah. And is uh, University of Bridgeport, is it a public school? And it being either public or private, what does the tuition look like for a in-state student slash student athlete and out-of-state student or student athlete? Yes, so we are a private school. Um, To my knowledge, it's always been private. And we, I want to say tuition currently sits around $52,000 a year right now. which I'm aware is a lot of money, but, (laughs) um, you know, we do have athletic scholarships that are coupled up with a nice academic scholarship as well. You know, our academic merit is on a tiering system based on GPA and, uh, you have the ability to opt in or opt out of standardized test scores. If it's going to benefit you always opt in. Um, but there's, you know, there's different opportunities to acquire a little bit of, of aid along with athletic and academic scholarships. Yeah, and I like to ask that question about what the tuition is so then people know on the front end what it may cost, right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of times you can't go to these schools, you know, if they don't offer scholarships or even if they do, you may not always guarantee a scholarship to understand what those numbers are going to look like. And, um, you know, where in the public school, you know, um, system in regards to like elementary, middle school and high school where it, it's free, 
you know, universities <laughs> and colleges aren't right. And so understanding, you know, what those numbers look like, but as well, what do each university offer? You know, there's some universities that don't offer any academic um, help at all, you know, or they don't offer, um, they only offer just need-based um, funding, you know, and having that understanding where a lot of times you could get blinded by, hey, I want to do gymnastics, I want to do gymnastics, this place, you know, is somewhere I could feel like I can contribute, 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 and then you get that bill and you're like, oh, right? And so understanding all that and ho hopefully helping the recruiting process, you know, just like some of the things we talked about earlier where um, recruits are saying that it's hard on them, you know, uh, making the right decision because you don't want to be stuck with a bill after you're done, you know, looking for a job or even a job that you're working just to pay off the school that you did, right? Yeah. And I think that that's an important thing. I try to be very upfront. I always tell them, look at our website, take a look at the cost of tuition. We'll discuss what it could look like if we were able to package you in a certain way. If you, you know, do gymnastics and you major in this, it just, that piece, I'm fully aware that the finances are a huge part of that. And that's why I try to tell them, you know, email one, take a look at the website, look at the cost of tuition. This is what we could potentially do. So, you know, have a conversation with your family first before you even take it a step further. So you're not let down in that situation, knowing that the university is, you know, tuition is what it is. Yeah. And academically, what is the University of Bridgeport or UB um, known for? What are some of their, you know, most recognized uh, degrees? Yeah, so we have the first dental hygiene school in the world. That is a big one. Um, we have a couple of dental hygiene majors on our team. They started nursing. I believe the first graduating class was 2019 or 2020. But on top of that, our business program is very popular. And they recently added sports management as an option because they're trying to increase the amount of sports that we offer at the university. And that's something that has been very popular among our athletes. Very nice. And division wise, what division is UB? We are division two. Awesome. And the entire um, university is division two? Mm -hmm. Awesome. And what does division two scholarship look like? Um, is it guaranteed a certain number or can you break it up and divvy it up? What does that look like? Yes. So we have an interesting scholarship model, but we are able to divvy up the scholarships as long as we stay below a certain threshold that keeps us in the division two model. Good. And what conference is the, are you guys a part of, are you guys independent? Are you guys part of um, a gymnastics conference? Not necessarily for the university, but your gymnastics conference. Yeah. So our gymnastics conference is the GEC, the gymnastics East conference. And it is um, a conference that we independently started a couple years ago. So, um, you know, we used to be in the ECAC for division two, but that was a three team conference and, um, it just breaking off and going to the GEC was great because there's more competition for us. There's more teams. It has way more of a championship vibe now that we have an eight team conference. So that's been nice. Yeah. And talk about also Bridgeport as a city or a town um 
what is there to do there? You know, what is the atmosphere like? And what does UB bring to Bridgeport? And what does Bridgeport bring to UB? Yeah, so we are obviously, Bridgeport is a city. It is, um, we're pretty close to downtown. Our downtown area is definitely up and coming. They've been doing a lot of construction, a lot of building of restaurants and small shops. And, you know, our area, well, we, I, what I think we bring to the area, um, you know, our university is extremely diverse. I want to say just over 45 nations are represented in our university, which is amazing. And we bring a lot of diversity to the area. Um, we're fortunate that, you know, the surrounding area and the surrounding businesses um, are supportive of our university. The city is very supportive of the university. And I think that that's something that's going to continue to, you know, those relationships are going to continue to build, especially with, you know, just the adding of sports, they're looking to really expand, which is amazing. And from a city standpoint, that's something that they're interested in because it, it you know, when you have a, a school in your city named after your city, it's something that you want people to take pride in and you want people to participate. So we try to get out into the community as much as we can from a community service standpoint and from, you know, just making sure that when we order, we do small business. And if we're doing meals, we get it from a local deli. And we try to make sure that, you know, we keep it within our city limits and we're supporting the city just the way that they, you know, support us. Yeah, I think that's really cool and really uh, important, you know, being able to have those two things tie um, and for people to have that experience. Because, you know, if we think about on a micro scale, on a day-to-day -day basis where people are going, you know, if you're in a town or sorry, a city like Bridgeport, a lot of times that's where you're going, right? Is you're going to these places and, you know, they're, um, you know, you have certain memories, right? You'd be like, hey, you know, that small town diner that has great chicken fried steak or, you know, great seafood at this place, you know, um, rather than, you know, just the chain places all the time, right? Which there's no, um, there's nothing wrong with the chain places, but I think those mom and pops are small mm -hmm. businesses and, you know, um, brings, you know, connection. And also it brings um, a different, different demographic of people to, you know, be a part of the athletic events, you know, or other things like that, which, you know, the reason I think that a lot of universities can have the success that they can do is because the communities surrounding them or that are in them are involved. You know, they support the universities. They come out um, to view gymnastics competitions or they come out to be a part of the camps, you know, or they're a part of other, um, you know, things that are happening academically on campus or with different departments. And even regar in regards to jobs, you know, um, mm -hmm. having some of those major corporations or businesses coming in and having that connection. So, Hey, I have a, you know, um, a degree as a dental hygienist and, you know, there's a major company that's near that's connected that, you know, they can launch me into my career. Right. Um, and so on and so forth. And I think thinking, you know, bigger, bigger perspective as well on not just going to university just because of what I see as my vision. Hey, I'm going there to get my degree and um, 
do my sport and then take my degree with me and take my experience for my sport, but also all the other stuff of life, right? Mm -hmm. Can you also talk about the support that your family was to you in your journey as a gym gymnast, but also their support in injury and how you use the lessons that you learned from them to, to coach the athletes the way that you do? Yeah. So I was not from a family of very many athletes. So when this gymnastics thing, <laughs> as we were like, man, this gymnastics thing takes up a lot of time. That was like mm. the first thing, like, man, we are traveling every weekend. This is serious. So mm. for me, it was always, my mom was like, if you're going to do this, you have to be serious about it because it is a lot of time. It yeah. is a lot of money and you have to be a hundred percent in it. So that was a conversation from a very young age, but on the flip side, it was, if you ever feel like your heart isn't in it, then you can be done. So I feel like it was nice to have the ability to do this and know that there was no pressure to keep doing it if I didn't want to, Yeah. which I was not a kid that ever quit gymnastics and came back. Um, I stuck with it even when I probably could have said, get me out of here um, mm -hmm. with my mental struggles on bars. But, you know, my family was always very supportive. If this is what you want to do, like we're behind you, we'll, we're going to meets, we're driving all over the place. This is it. Um, with my injury in college, it was very tough, obviously because I was so far from home and I needed multiple surgeries and being in the dorms is hard because like, you just don't want to be in the dorms when you're recovering from surgery. It's not easy, no matter which way you slice it, even though we had elevators and you know, we, I lived right across from, you know, the bathroom and it was right there. I was like, I just don't, I would rather not be here to do this recovery. So my mom came, you know, for my surgeries and that was great. I stayed in a hotel throughout all of my, um, my first week after both my surgeries. And from the point that I got injured, the first question I had was, you know, am I able to redshirt? And they were like, good Lord, this just happened. Like, <laughs> so I called my mom and I was like, Hey, and this was right from the training room at the meet. I'm like, Hey, I'm hurt. I'm done for the season. I probably need surgery, but I'm in a red shirt. And she was like, what is happening right now? And I was like, I'm just laying this out for you. Like I guarantee something's wrong. I, I can see it. It's pretty bad, but I just want you to know I'm not done with gymnastics. That was like the first thing I said. And she's like, okay, okay. So you're injured. Um, we'll figure this out. And we're still doing gymnastics after all of this. <laughs> So I feel like they just rolled with whatever. It was like, you want to keep doing it? All right, we're in. You don't want to do it, which was not really a thing that happened, but like they were just in it. If I wanted it, they were in. Um, yeah, it was the injury piece was definitely tough, but there wasn't a point, I think, in that recovery that I was not going to come back because I refused to finish my career that way. Yeah, because I think our circles and our support systems are super essential to how we deal with stuff and, you know, the reason why we pursue cert certain things, right? And having a great support system from what I hear, you know, that, you know, we're willing to sacrifice, which is a lot to take you to competitions and, and hear you out even after injury, because sometimes you're just like, all right, I've had enough on my heart. I, you never want to get that call as a parent, excuse me, that you're, um, athlete has gotten injured right 
but still to be able to support what you wanted because you came out and you just said it how it is. You didn't say, hey, <laughs> oh, we'll see how this goes. Maybe I should just be done. And this is maybe the universe or God telling me, hey, it's it's over. You said, nope, um, we're going to deal with this however long it takes and we're going to go. And for her to be like, all righty, you know. <laughs> I feel like I didn't give much of a choice in that situation, but I just knew I was like, this is not how my career ends and we're going to have to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. Now, how do you um, walk in, in, and navigate athletes who've been injured? If you've had athletes who've been injured part of your tenure as a coach volunteering or as a head coach, how do you walk alongside them and, you know, kind of share with them from your own experiences that things are going to be okay or things may not be okay in regards to what you're dealing with, but life still will go on and you can still find a testimony out of it. Let me tell you, my first year, any injury, my first year as head coach, any injury that could have happened or any weird circumstance that could have happened, happened. Oh, and geez. I was like, what uh I'm looking up and I'm like all right I get it <laughs> like, like no more no more it was like day one dislocated finger I'm like all right you know what it's bound to happen but I'm like day one first practice day two maybe day three one of the seniors we were so pumped for her return she was warming up on floor and tears her Achilles and I was like okay I can't do this <laughs> like, I can't and I in that moment was I was about to cry because I was like I don't know this poor kid post pandemic wasn't going to come back to gymnastics. I got hired and she was like, Oh my gosh, yes, I'm in like, I'm going to do gymnastics. If, if you're here, I'm here. And this is how her first week goes. I'm like, she's supposed to be a senior. She's supposed to be done after this. Mm. And, and then it was just one thing after another. And it got to the point where I just, and if my kids now, my kids on my team now see this, they're going to laugh. Cause I always talk about the importance of small wins especially from a recovery standpoint. So you wake up one day and you can get up and crutch yourself to the bathroom. That's a small win. Yeah. I'm like, we got to celebrate all the things because when you go from being a high level gymnast to being on crutches or being bedridden or having surgery and not being able to brush your own hair because your, your arm is in a sling, you have to step back and focus on the small wins. So I always make sure that they acknowledge something that they did that was either mentally difficult for them, physically difficult for them, whatever it may be, but it doesn't have to be something huge. Small progress is always progress. So I try to remind them that in the recovery process, it's also not always going to be linear. Like you're not going to feel great and just keep feeling great. You're going to have a day where your body says, mm -mm, not today. Yeah. So I try to remind them that, you know, recovery is tough. And anything that you're able to do that was more than the day before is it's progress and it's yeah. a small win to celebrate. Yeah. And do you have a good structure of things, especially with dealing with injuries, sometimes like freak accident stuff like um, the finger or the Achilles, you know, but did you do you guys have now like a program in regards to the, your prehab that you guys are doing to really start to address a lot of these things that may occur so that they don't occur? Yes. So funny, because I would just like to say that doing the Dave Tilly symposium was so great for me. Uh, my strength and conditioning coach, I kind of tricked him into being like, you know, I have this really cool thing I signed up for. And it's a lot of stuff 
for prehab and rehab and there's a strength and conditioning day and he's like oh cool like let's do it together he didn't realize it was like eight hours and we did them all live and he was like are you kidding this is so <laughs> but you know I've worked with him very closely and I've worked with you know training staff to one implement a lift program because heavy lifting has been it has been unbelievable for our girls and it's such a shift of mindset in what the expectation of a gymnast should be like and should do gymnastics like and what you know strong really means and i'm i'm the type of person that will say we need to prioritize lift in the preseason we can pull out of practice but we have to prioritize lift we have to prioritize we do bi-weekly yoga mm. we have to prioritize yoga um you know we have to prioritize swimming because it's low impact and it's good to get the lactic acid buildup out of our muscles. So I find that, you know, all the research I did and all of the professional development that I've been able to do and working with our strength and conditioning coach, who also does his own, you know, outside of school, his own professional development, it's been really good to get things in place where we have certain things that we do on certain events now to get our bodies warm and going before they start doing, you know, their skills. And it has made such a difference in just injury across the board for every kid. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, you know, that education is really important because it seems like, and I know, I think Dave Tilly has talked about this and, you know, a lot of other coaches and universities have talked about this, especially with the floors in, in college mm -hmm. gymnastics, you know, um, deciding what styles of floor would be best for you know college gymnasts so it protects the achilles and you know stuff like that but also being able to train some of those similar angles and some of those similar forces obviously not to that degree because that would be detrimental but being able to safely put them in those ranges so when they do hit you know they don't end up tearing they have the flexibility the mobility you know and they have the response the 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 proper response times, you know, but also understanding, you know, how to um, properly train on certain surfaces, right? Going from something hard to something softer that would, you know, create a little more of a stretch to something that much faster and hits a little bit harder and how that would respond, you know? Um, I think there's been a lot of education because, you know, lately we've seen a lot of as the, the the skills for women's gymnastics has gone up, a lot of kids, unfortunately, getting injured um, because of that stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, I mean, you can see just if you look at a sideline at a meet, it's the injury that we experienced in just my first year. I was like, there's got to be something. Someone needs to open some sort of research on why this is happening because it, it was... And in that year alone, I think even in other programs, the amount of Achilles tears was, it was unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, no. And, you know, obviously keeping these girls as healthy as possible because gymnastics is such a little aspect. And yes, there's so much that you're sacrificing and you're risking in your own health and you know it, right? And you happen and you're hoping it never happens. And a lot of times it doesn't happen for the majority, but then there's the times where it does and you have to deal with it right but you can't take the smaller percentage in the grand scheme of everything and just be like okay you know what it may happen 
to one person on every team or something like that. Well, that one person on every team, if you have every team, you know, say there's 88, 90 programs and you have one, you know, one college athlete on every 90 Achilles tears. That's a lot, right? To think about, you know what I mean? And um, being able to find healthier ways for these athletes to be able to, you know, train and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think there's a piece of like listening to your body is something that I try to teach them. And it's hard. It's so hard for them because they're like, well, if I tell you something's bothering me, then I won't practice. And if I don't practice, then I won't compete. And then I'm like, breathe. It's one day. Like this one day of listening to your body and knowing that something doesn't feel right could save you, you know, a year long recovery. Right. And do you feel like the hour restrictions compared to when they're in club, you know, normally, you know, they're training more hours or in the gym more hours than they're allowed to um, do anything, even gymnastics related, right? Um, Because in in, in college, they're only allotted certain hours to do anything gymnastics related, not even just including your training time, right? And so where in club, you're in, say, for a level 10, you know, you're training 28 to 35 hours in that range, right? Plus, say you're doing other stuff outside of that, you know, you're doing your own lift, lifting and conditioning, or you're doing your own therapy and stuff like that outside. Now you're have a lot that you're committing to this to the sport. And then you're coming into college where you're used to, you know, putting, you know, so much time into it, when now you're only limited to this, you feel like, when you miss a day, you're going to be set behind so much. How do you navigate that process with an athlete if they're worried about it? It definitely comes up in conversation because they're like, what do you mean we can't come in? I always say like four practices a week, even when they go home for the summer, I'm like four days. They're like, well, my club coaches are mad. I'm like, I'm your coach. (laughs) Like four days. You're not 12 anymore. You are 21. That is your body is not able to do as much as it used to do. And you have to listen to it. But another thing that I find that's important is even if they are out with something sore or if a muscle is, you know, super tight and they can't do anything, we do mental work in the gym when they're doing their rehab or when they're doing their heating before, you know, they do their exercises or when they're getting treatment. Um, that's the most important piece is the mental work. And they've, a lot of them have been doing all these skills for years and years and years. So you're not going to forget, you're not going to forget how to do it in a week. You're not going to forget how to do it in a year. Truly. I can still, I mean, not well, but I can still, you know, like flip around and my body knows what to do. So we do a lot of mental work, whether it be journaling, whether it be watching video of your best routines, your best skills, and, you know, doing some of that visualization work, knowing that a couple of days of just mental work can be just as effective as physical work if you put in the time and you're that focused during that amount of time. So I feel like you have to kind of cater the lack of hours, even though truly it's enough. Um, Yeah some of those kids that feel like it might not be enough because it's not what they're used to. Right. Right. No, I think it's good. I think it's good to teach them balance and teach them how to, you know, enjoy the sport for what it is and know that it's, you know, a short time, but Mm -hmm. to get the most out of it and 
you know, and if an injury happens, that's unfortunate, but you know, you can always recover, but if we can avoid it in the first place, I think that's, that's even better. What are some of the pillars that you stand on for your athletes and your, your program? Like what are things that, you know, you are requiring from your, your athletes in regards to, you know, respect is a big thing or hard work. Like what are your non, non non-negotiable things that you require from your team? Yeah. We talk a lot about just being a good human and they'll probably, I feel like if I ask them now, like, what do I expect of you? And it's be a good human and be a good teammate and kindness. This is where my elementary teacher kicks in where I'm like in a world where you can be anything, just be kind. You don't have to be best friends. You don't have to, you know, go out of your way all the time for everybody, but things that are going to get you where you want to be in life and to be successful and to also be as happy as you can be as a person is to be a good person to other people. And we do a lot of soul searching. I like to call it at the beginning of the preseason where we figure out who people are based on experiences that they're willing to share. And sometimes it's super uncomfortable and I even get put on the spot and they're like, coach, you know, we want to know what you think or what's something that has happened to you that you feel has made you who you are. And I'm like, Whoa, (laughs) this isn't about me, but you know, we sit down and we do a lot of journaling in the first couple months just on, you know, things that they've experienced that make them who they are. And that's something that really helps us figure out what works with some people, what, you know, it's truly what has made you who you are. And now we know why. And we know how to communicate with each other because we do those activities. And for us, it's, you know, be a good person and communication is key always. Whether you're communicating that this is sore today or you're communicating to someone on the team, hey, it bothers me when you do this. It's a very simple thing that a lot of kids and also, you know, from that pandemic piece that they missed a chunk of time in school. They missed a chunk of socialization. Um, So that's a big thing that I've had to really work with them on is the communication piece. I'm like, I'm, I'm cool. You tell me what you're feeling. And then we just work around that. How can we, you know, if your lower half is hurting, what else can we do to work around it? Um, So communication for us is something that we're constantly working on, but it's something that I think it's in our code of conduct truly is open communication. Always say what you're feeling, say what you're thinking. How can we, you know, how can we work together? So it's very simple, but you know, respect and kindness and communication, it goes a long way in every relationship, no matter if it's your coach or a friend or whatever it may be. Yeah. And how many athletes do you carry? And then do you also do a leadership um, type of um, either how do you set up your leadership? Do you have like a leadership committee? Do you do captains? Um, and how do people kind of find their role within the UB gymnastics program? So we currently have 24 on our roster. Uh, last year we had 22 and my first year we had 12. So it was definitely a nice growing experience from year one to year two. Um, you know, next year we will have 28 because we do not have anybody graduating, which is really, really wow. cool. Yeah. It's um, it's a big roster, but at the same time, doing that journaling and doing the team bonding and doing all of that stuff in the early stages of the year, 
makes it so that they get to know each other very quickly and they get comfortable very quickly. Um, we do have captains. My first year, I did not do them. There were 12 people on the team. I was just trying to, you know, like maintain, maintain my 12. Um, but we do have captains. But the captain position, in my opinion, has changed a little bit from, you know, what it was to be a captain, I feel, when I was on the team. And these captains, I say, you know, they are just a positive resource. They are upperclassmen that you can go to if you have a problem and it's, you know, I don't know if I want to go to coach yet. Can I figure this out myself? And if I can't figure it out myself, can I go to a captain, an upperclassman? Because that's what they're there for. Yeah. You know, they're in the dorms. They spend their time with the girls and they see more, obviously, than a coaching staff is going to see because we, you know, we go home at night. Yeah. And for that role, to me, it's just how can you be a positive resource to underclassmen that aren't familiar with college, that aren't familiar with the staff yet, that yeah. just have questions that they might be embarrassed to ask a coach. <laughs> I don't know how to get to class. I don't know how to do this. How can I, you know, those captains that we have right now, and they are, the three of them are absolutely unbelievable. Um they're just to be a positive resource. And if it needs to come to a coach, if it's something that's an issue, then they do such a good job of knowing what needs to be communicated. Um, you know, and they sometimes facilitate their own team bonding because they have something specific that they want to do together, which I love that because it's them going off on their own and knowing like, this is something that's going to be fun for our team. So let's get them together and do it. And I really appreciate that about them. Yeah, no, that's good. That's very good. And, you know, competition wise, um, well, let's first talk about your practice facility. Do you guys have your own practice facility? And then do you guys have uh, um, an arena that you guys compete in? And what does that look like in regards to fan base? Yes. Yeah, so we have, we practice out of Wheeler Recreation Center. So it's our rec facility where Part of our facility is basketball courts. Part of our facility is uh, there's a weight room and a cardio room that's brand new as of this year. And then we have our section of the gym, which is separated from the rest of the facility. The girls have a brand new locker room this year, too. So that has been very nice. And we have our own satellite training room attached to it, which is great. Um, for competition, we open up the whole facility and we move our equipment out into onto the courts. Um, and then we kind of put our equipment where we want it for competition. So we are fortunate that we practice and technically compete in the same facility. So it's not too much movement for us. And they're familiar with, you know, their competition site. Yeah, no, I think that's good. And do you guys get many um, kids who transfer in and, you know, because especially the landscape of the transfer portal really being, you know, maybe in the last, you know, five years at an all time high in, in the sport, uh, in sports in general, right? Um, how do you, how does UB navigate the transfer portal? And, you know, having a roster that big, do you guys ever have athletes who are like, you know what, I feel like maybe I, I may never see the competition floor and may entertain that portal or, you know, the community that you guys have built within the program just kind of leaves people in a place where they say, Hey, this is where I decided home to be. And I'm going to stay here. Yeah. So I'm just going to go based off of the last three years. My first year, I mean, it, it was so tough. Like 
having 12 kids, not being able to, I mean, at one point we couldn't put out a full lineup because we had one kid hurt. So I was like, um, we're not going to, we're not going to pretend we're just going to put out what we have and we will enjoy whatever gymnastics we see. So in that first year, you know, a couple of people transferred, you know, we had two kids transfer to Fisk, which I think was an amazing opportunity for them because that's, you know, that's a whole different landscape of like, you're, you are starting a program and you're starting history. So yeah. when they wanted to transfer, I'm like, honestly, that's amazing. Like, yeah. you know, you're not, it's, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity to get to do something like that, to be part of a first year program that didn't exist. Yeah. And, you know, if kids want to transfer, I'm like, where do you want to go? Let me know. Like, I'm the mm -hmm. first person to be like, it doesn't always have to be the right fit because you thought it was. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that people might view as failure as a, from a coaching standpoint, but from an outsider's perspective, seeing kids transfer, sometimes people always want to say, Ooh, I wonder what happened. It has, right. it has to be bad. Right. No, I had a kid leave last year. Um, and I talked to her weekly and she only transferred because she's like, you know, you're one of the first coaches that let me think about something besides gymnastics. And I realized I don't really want to do it at this serious of a level. Mm -hmm. I was like, so then where do you want to go? What do you want to do? Like, mm -hmm. I think it has to be more of a, it's not always about us or our university. It might just be about a certain isolated situation where they feel like they have to be somewhere else. And, you know, I have not yet actively pursued athletes from the portal, but we do have, I mean, if you look at our roster, we have an, um, I want to say right now we have two, three, we have three transfers on our team. Um, that came from D1 institutions and transferred to us. So, you know, I, obviously I speak to those coaches and check and see, you know, like what's, what's the situation? Why, why are they pursuing the portal? Um, because, you know, a lot of times, and this is just from, I have so many coaching friends that talk about the portal and yeah. it's tough because sometimes kids go in the portal because they're like, I can get better than this. I'm out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I, right. I don't know what that would have been like from, if it was that way when I was in school, I don't know what that would have been like for our team, yeah. but you know, I always encourage people and I tell my team straight up day one, just because you picked this place, just because you chose here doesn't mean it's always going to be definite that it works out for you and that you're going to be happy and that everything's going to go the way that you planned. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. I, I always tell them I was a teacher before I was a coach. I thought I was going to teach for 30 years and then call it a day. And no, nope, I changed my profession. And just like that, you might want to change schools, yeah. but it's important that if you're going to do that, just be transparent and know that, you know, at least from my standpoint, I will support whatever decision you feel you need to make to be the best you that you can be. Right. And I think that's really important that the way you said that, because a lot of times there is that wonder why, you know, is it something negative? where sometimes it is, but sometimes it is where you just had to go experience for yourself and find out, you know, and maybe you did make the right decision. Because one of the thought processes when I started this podcast is to, you know, help address some of the transport portal stuff. But in having some of these conversations with coaches and finding out, you know, some of the reasons why it may happen internally, you know, can give a different landscape to things where people may be making the right decision at the time that they feel like needed to happen, right? Because they felt good about the recruiting process. But sometimes some people didn't do the due diligence to actually go through it properly. And they went somewhere that wasn't where they needed to be. 
but they obviously needed to be there to find out. Right. And so they mm -hmm. went found out and then, you know, decided to transfer or whatever it is, you know, but bringing, you know, light to it, both in, in a, in a positive realm, but also, you know, being transparent because things are not always like you, the grass is not always greener on the other side, you know, and being honest about that. Right. And having healthy conversations because sometimes it could be, we're making it about us as coaches, you know, mm -hmm. and being able to be like, all right, I'm being, I have to self-reflect and be like, all right, I may have not given this athlete the experience that they they needed or the experience that I told them that they were going to experience, you know, or athletes, hey, you know, I didn't do the due diligence in my recruiting process to understand, you know, is this a place that I need to be or I, can I be my best self or did I self-sabotage myself into where I have to go somewhere else or find a new home or whatever the, 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 the case may be. And having more, you know, conversations about it, you know, makes it not as scary, but also, you know, I think brings light to just how things are navigated. And, you know, that's part of the, 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 the reason why I want to do this, you know, these podcasts and conversations is really to start thinking about it in, you know, uh, not just a linear way, but just to t start thinking about the different aspects of it right you know transferring may not always have to be negative but also what it may entail because if you transfer are you you know could you lose eligibility are you transferring because you're a senior somewhere and you have a fifth year or you know whatever the case may be and there's an opportunity for you to go somewhere else to be able to continue and finish off your um, gymnastic career while pursuing a master's or whatever the case may be you know um Maybe I went somewhere. I'm like, you know what? I really miss home and I want to get closer to home. And there's an opportunity for me to get closer to home, you know? Yeah. I think it's just such a taboo thing in some situations and people don't want to discuss it that, or it's looked at as a failure from both sides, which it doesn't have to be because sometimes things just don't work. And that's completely, you know, that's life. From, from another perspective, we would say, oh, like things just change its life. But in this isolated situation, we're like, oh my gosh, it's a transfer. That's, you know, someone somewhere had to have done something wrong. And it's like, no, sometimes these relationships or they might change their major or they might want to change their major and your school just doesn't have it. There's just so many different situations where it just doesn't work out for, you know, an, one isolated reason. And there's not, sometimes there's not more to it. <laughs> right. Now at... UB, is NIL a factor that you guys have to deal with um, in regards to, you know, student athletes coming in? Are they looking for that? And if they are, how does UB, you know, navigate through that process? So far, not really. Um, you know, I encourage our girls because I know a couple of them have been pursued by companies. I encourage them to do a little research and to see if that's something that they're interested in. Um, but Thus far, it hasn't been too much of something that we experience. You know, kids will contact companies and they'll see what they can do or if, even at a small scale. But, you know, obviously at the Division two level, it's very different from what the yeah. Division one is experiencing. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, I think for, especially because this is becoming the world that we're in and becoming part of it, right? And um, 
even with social media where athletes can have a name prior to um, getting to universities or even be at universities and have a name, you know, and it could be a lot because there's obviously money tied to it. There's also a lot more eyes tied to it, tied to it. And sometimes it could be a great thing for programs just because you're bringing a fan base with that may not have been there. Right. Mm -hmm. Like for example, in football with the Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift, right. Having the Swifty fans now be involved (laughs) in, 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 in football, brings light you know bring a different set of eyes to football or you know football fans who may not have been into you know um, pop culture and stuff like that may be involved and it could help each other out right Um, but also on the uh, other side of it it could be a distraction too right where it becomes about you know my time is spent having to promote this business and you know or I get to this place where, you know, I'm social media famous and, you know, do you know who I am? And, and that's just the reality of what may happen sometimes, not saying that it is, but, you know, how teams are dealing with that or navigating through that, right? And especially in our sport where you can't really become professional and make a, a ton of money for a majority with the sport or even after you're done doing your college time and be like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to be a a gymnast the rest of my life. You know, one, your body's not going to allow you to, and two, there's not as many opportunities um, to become a professional or to make a lot of money unless you're successful in a gym owning, or you have competitions that you run, or, you know, you happen to, um, coach at a certain level or whatever, but, you know, even then, you know, once your career is done, your career is typically done. Right. Um, and the last element too, is sometimes that, that NIL might be important because of what happened, like what I grew up with, I might've not grown up with money and Mm -hmm. that opportunity may change my family's life. Right. And that might be the reason why it is, you know, and people understanding the opportunities that are presented to them. If a pres- if opportunity is presented to it, I don't fault anybody for um, pursuing it and looking into it and gaining the benefits, right? As long as you know that that won't change you or that won't bring the side of you that's not as pleasant out, right? Yeah, and I think the thing about this that's extremely difficult is looking at it from you know, they're 18. In these situations, you know, giving all this money and all of this stuff and all of this fame at 18, it's tough. It is 100%. I can't even imagine. I'm just, we joke now. I'm like, we didn't have social media when I was in college. Like I didn't have to worry about 90% of the things that occupy you, these athletes that occupy their mind. We didn't even have to worry about it. There, there just wasn't this pressure of social media and now with NIL the obligations to post and to do this and to be present and to show everything off and it's like it's tough I can only imagine from you know getting that responsibility at 18 years old so I feel like there's like a it's it's a double-edged sword it's amazing it's great that you know these these athletes can make money and they can potentially support themselves and their families on the other side it's now you have no way of escaping that responsibility no, definitely, definitely, definitely. Is there 
a camp that you guys run at UB? And if you do, when is your guys' camp? We are currently in conversation with some local gyms because I would like to run it off-site um, because our gym, I want to be able to have, you know, trampolines and loose foam pits and we do not have loose foam in our gym. So I wanted to be able to do that somewhere that is close to our campus, but that has those amenities. So we are currently trying to see if we can launch our first ever camp this coming summer. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure to tune in and, and you know, try to keep the listeners and viewers updated on that as that kind of evolves itself. Um, and then last question, well, last two questions. One, if I'm an athlete coming there, do I have to have all the skills that I'll ever need to compete or can I come in and still grow and get skills to be able to add to my routines? Yes. Yeah, so we love to teach. I will say that, you know, at this level, especially, and my girls laugh all the time because I'm the type of coach that's like, oh, you've been doing this your whole life. You're going to try this now. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm just going to see if this works better. Um, I think that that's one of the most amazing pieces of our sport is that you can continue to learn. So great if you can come in with requirements, but at the same time, I think it's important to keep an open mind and know that we might change something or we might throw something at you that you haven't done before because we think it might work better. And, you know, a couple of our kids came in with vaults this year and I'm like, mm, we're going to try something different. <laughs> and they were like, um, but I trained this all summer. I'm like, that's nice. And I appreciate that. But we're, I think something else might work. So, you know, we're, we love teaching. We're open to changing things. And I think that that's a huge piece of our sport is continuing to get better each year. Yes. No, it's good. And final question, is there, or not necessarily a question, but um, is there anything that you want to leave with the listeners, the viewers to know more about you, know more about your program or any ways to support um, what you guys got going on at UB? Yeah, you know, I think we're trying to make sure that our social media presence is active and the girls are very open to sharing their experiences um, on our Instagram and on our social media. Um, we just started a TikTok. I was bullied into that. So, you know, the girls, the girls are all over it. Um, but I think it's important to know that regardless of what division whether it be one, two, or three, or what conference you're pursuing or where you want to do gymnastics at the end of the day, you know, especially in D2, D3, lower level D1, you're still getting a competitive experience. And we, you know, we're very fortunate to be able to compete at D1 schools and still travel and compete a predominantly division one schedule, which is great, um, you know, and they, they work just as hard. They do all the same things. Um, they are, this team is definitely a special one to watch for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Lauren, for being a part of the podcast and sharing about University of Bridgeport and kind of your story and how, you know, injury changed the trajectory of your career and now head coach of the, of the university that you were a gymnast at and, um, you know, being able to be an example and share you know, your story with athletes and help them create their own stories. So thank you again. And thank you everybody for tuning in to another episode of Heated Conversations with the University of, of Bridgeport. Uh, follow them on social media. As she just said, they have a TikTok. So I'll link their TikTok uh, in the descriptions below. Uh, make sure you guys go follow them, give them a shout, um, comment on their stuff and follow their season. 
about a month from now, seasons are starting. So check them out. You guys have a great one. I'll see you guys on the next episode.